You're listening to the 12 Days of Crusademus 2022, brought to you by the Longbox Crusade. Hello and welcome to the fifth day of the 12 days of Crusademus for 2022, brought to you by the Longbox Crusade. The 12 days of Crusademus is our gift to the podcast community to celebrate the holiday season. And we're celebrating this joyous season by sharing with you some comic book titles that may have gotten by you in the past. Each of the 12 days of Crusademus will bring you a hidden gem of a comic book series brought to you either by one of our Holly Jolly co-hosts or one of our podcast celebrity guests until we get all the way to December 25th, Christmas Day. I'm your host for this fifth day of Crusademus, Jared Albrick, the Christmas Pro. And here are the three little drummer boys joining me for today's unwrapping. First of all, I want to welcome Delvin, the Christmas Web Williams. You rarely get to go first. Welcome, welcome. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Jared. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. It's the weather outside is frightful, but this fire we have, it's delightful. It's quite delightful, and I feel so good and festive that I want to present you with your present a little bit early. Oh. It's, it's skull candy headphones. Like, you know, <laughs> I heard that, like, you're having, like, a communication mm. issue going on. Are they Rastas? Like, <laughs> you know, like, I heard that you had to, like, charge your headphones and everything. <laughs> and we're a professional outfit, Jared. Oh. I don't know if you know that or not. Right. So, like, just make sure that next time you have headphones that plug right in. And Thanks. Thank funny. you. Thank You're you. Welcome. welcome to Bizarro Christmas, everyone. <laughs> Love you, buddy. Love you, too. <laughs> All right. Let's check in the most weaselest of the Christmas skulls. Uh, never mind. We'll save him for last. Because <laughs> I know what's coming. I, I, know, I know what's coming. Let's let's check in with DJ Christados Kringle. Welcome to your own show and your own network, Christados Kringle. Hey, hey. Merry Christmas. I had something for you. Some headsets from my DJ equipment I wanted to give you, but... Mm-hmm. I guess Delvin beat me to it. Uh, Don't worry. I got it, Pat. I got it. I'm yeah. all over it, dude. Okay. Well, man with a plan. That's what they call me. Yeah. Leonardo! You know what we want, Pat. What? Where well, we at? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Right. I think, you have, a, I think you have a reading for us. I do. I do have a reading to continue on our installment of the Twas the Night Before Crusademus. We are now on the fifth. This is the fifth episode, so we're going to do the fifth saying for this poem that I put together here. And why don't we go ahead and everybody sit back. Why don't you all get comfy as we continue on with the next few verses from this poem. With a tall, middle-aged driver, so lanky, and with a bag full of tostados, I knew in a moment he must be St. Christatos. More rapid than eagles, his courses they came, and he whistled and he shouted, and he called them by name. Ooh, I get you all excited for what names are coming up. We have to wait till next episode. <laughs> you have to wait till next episode. Ah! Oh, son of us. Cliffhangers. Oh, well, that was uh, another wonderful reading. Hopefully we can go back and clip all those and edit them together for one final reading. I think it'll be fun when it all comes together. That'll be good times right there. 
All right, let's just get through this. All right, uh, welcome back to the show. Jason the Christmas Weasel, Albrecht. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, guys. As usual, the floor is yours, Mary Jane. The floor is mine. It's about time. It is almost party time, everybody. And there's lots to do. Pat, Pat, I told you to put those exterior decorations up. Get up there on the roof. But I was working on the roof. Is on fire? The roof is... Something gonna be on fire if you don't get up there and get those decorations going. Jad, y'all say a lot of death yes, probe, whatever you call yourself these days. <laughs> yes, MJ. Did you get with the lawyers? About which thing? You know the Ruth and Darren thing. We got to make sure that everything is ready to go. You, yes. You know, they kind of got in that scuffle mm. with the fire water guys last time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Nope. It's, I, it's I want no shenanigans. Bring a shenanigan free, MJ. No shenanigans. I don't mean cleaning up those messes. Delvin. Yes. Yes, Mary Jane. Baby, you just stand there looking sexy. <laughs> this is BS. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, hey. We'll talk later. Weasel Skull. Yes, Mary Jane. What are you doing? I'm letting you have my time. Fair enough. All right. Get on it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I see an extra person in here. It is Omaha Bound. What's your name, sir? Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. My first name is Omaha, last name Bound, uh, middle name. What was it before you changed it? (laughs) (laughs) And there we go. Rest in peace. We made it through another one. Sorry, guys. Every a tradition like no other. (laughs) Other. Oh well. Since we've made it through that, it's time to introduce our special guest, as Mary Jane kind of did. Joining us today around our delightful fireplace, it's Tim Benson from OmahaBound.com. Welcome back to the network, Tim. Hey, Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas, Tim. I've got headphones. I've got microphones. <laughs> I've got speaker cords. I've got adapters, batteries. None of them work, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> He's got all that. He's got empty DVD cases. Oh, yeah. Nope. Yeah. Blank CDs. <laughs> no gaming headphones. What are those? Oh, my goodness. Well, we're, we, we, we we're going to make it happen. We're going to make it happen with the... Uh, it's going to be a Christmas miracle, folks. Oh. But the main question is, we see that you do have a stocking, and you have something gift-wrapped inside that stocking, and we'd like to know what it is. So, I was asked to fill my stocking with one of the best books I've ever read, and that I don't think most people have. And so, I found a holiday spirit-filled book. called Lone Wolf and Cub. It's got children, it's got dads, it's got really angry uncles. It's literally just a Christmas book. (laughs) There's snow. I remember snow being... There is is a huge snow in the first (laughs) book, so I thought it was appropriate for this fifth day of Christmas. Awesome. So yes, Tim has brought us Lone Wolf and Cub number one from First Comics, 1987, which actually was first published in March of 1984, so sayeth the note that Tim put in there for me, because it was originally published in Japan. Now, Tim, may we have a brief history of the series and the creators as much as you know. So Lone Wolf and Cub were originally serialized in Japan, and I'm going to really do terribly with the names here, but by Kazuo Koiki and Goseki Kojima, and serialized and then first brought to the U.S. in a couple formats, but the the first one that's maybe most well-known is First Publishing, put out a series of issues, and so each issue collected a few stories, and they, you know, standard comic size, they did not finish the series before they either lost their rights, lost all their money, 
money or oh, lost no. interest. And nobody really knows what happened huh. with first, first publishing, but most likely just declining sales for the series over the years and tough to find. First publishing, not widely distributed, things like that. So really found its second wind in the U.S. when Dark Horse picked up the rights and they put out these little phone books. They're like, they're like super thick, tons of stories in them, but they're like really small books and there were like 26 of them collecting the entire story. So Dark Horse version one was maybe five inches tall, very small. And then they put out 12 slightly larger, but still not normal or standard U.S. comic size or trade paperback size. So it's something that's not standard release in every format it's ever had. So hmm. first publishing just never finished the series, but it's the best getting it at that larger size. Those really small Dark Horse books were practically throwaway, but they were cheap and it got the book out into people's hands. And then they put out the 12 larger versions and I'm holding out hope that Dark Horse does the 12 leather-bound, really mm. high-end collector books that they've been doing for some of the other books. But we'll see what Dark Horse is up to. Frank Miller is probably the person most responsible for bringing Lone Wolf and Cub to the United States. He did the covers and introductions for first publishing and for Dark Horse releases. And you know, reading Lone Wolf is like reading a, a slightly better drawn and with a lot better ink work than Sin City. But it's... Oh. Ooh, you can just, shots fired. I know, shots fired. <laughs> you can feel everything Frank Miller's ever done in Lone Wolf and Cub, from Daredevil and Wolverine to Sin City. It's all got its roots in Lone Wolf and Cub. So he's pretty much the reason it's one of the most well-known Japanese samurai-era books. But all that said, a lot of people know about Lone Wolf and Cub, but very small audiences actually read it. So thought it would be a good book that is accessible. It's easy enough to find, but most people haven't taken that dive. So, so uh, Tim, my next question for you is, and you alluded to this, but what are some of the main reasons you love this book in particular? What grabs you about Lone Wolf and Cub? I'm a big samurai in Japanese history, that era. A big fan of that era and the stories that come out of that. Some of the reasons that make Wolverine so popular, that nobility yet killer types. He's going to take care of stuff, but mm -hmm. he's going to only do it for the right people. And that kind of nobility that we love in some comics, a lot of that is dominant theme in samurai fiction. So that definitely appeals to me. So I first read Lone Wolf on my honeymoon a long time ago. Now I've got kids and I read it from a different perspective or maybe some different emotions attached to it. But I'm also, I'm a big fan of black and white. I love that it's not designed to be colored. It's designed as a black and white book. Excellent. Now is the part of the show where we're going to go around to find out has anybody read Lone Wolf and Cub before? And, uh, you know, let's go counterclockwise. Jason, you ever read Lone Wolf and Cub? Yes, sir, I have. Not as much as Tim, obviously, but I have enjoyed some Lone Wolf and Cub in the past. I have uh, a couple Lone Wolf and Cubs in my collection. And in fact, I've read this issue that was brought before us before I realized as I got into it. All right, Pat. No, I'm in that category that Tim said earlier that I've heard of it, but never delved into it. Excellent. Delvin? I'd heard of the title, but I'd never read the book. And I'm kind of with you on that. I remember this hitting the shelves, but it was not one of the ones that Jason and I picked up. As we may have mentioned earlier, I did pick up this fatty boom batty uh, 
huge, it's basically a super thick foam book digest size from Ollie's for the sticker tells me $3.99. I wasn't going to not pick that up for four bucks. So I have it, but I haven't read it. Tim, were all 45 issues square bound like this? Yeah. yeah. Okay. First published, yeah, they did a lot of square bound and it's kind of shows the size of the publisher, how often they change formats. Like the printers change and binders change and all of that stuff based on the demand the publisher can pull off with their printer. First publishing, all these were square bound and has definitely driven some price up on some of them because square bound doesn't hold up real well from mm. the 80s. All right, very cool. Now we will go to Tim for a quick summary of the issue that he had us read. Go ahead, my friend. All right. So Lone Wolf and Cub, issue one collects the first couple stories. The first story really sets up who the main characters are. So Degoro is the son of Ido, Ido Ogami, who was the Shogun's executioner. And Shogun's executioner is a really fancy word for being the maybe the best swordsman in the, the land. Mm-hmm. And a little bit of judge, jury, executioner, a little bit of governor. There's a lot of stuff wrapped up in that role. But the feuding clan sets him up to take the fall. His wife is murdered by this clan, and they, they set it up to, for him to have to take the fall. And to be able to preserve honor, the Shogun orders him to perform ritual suicide. And he refuses to do that when he sets off on the path or the road to hell. And one of the toughest, best, coolest, I don't know the right adjective for it is moments in the whole book as he gives his very young son, Daigoro, the choice to either take the, the toy or take the sword. And if he takes the sword, he'll join him on his path. If he takes the toy, he'll join his mother. But... Iro Ogami is gonna get revenge for the murder and the feud. So, son and father, he picks the sword, spoiler. (laughs) So, so son and father break the command and he defies the Shogun's order and sets out to seek revenge uh, against the the clan. From that point on, he goes on his journey to to find the clan and become an an assassin for hire. His fee is 500 Rio, which is a little bit of money, but he sets off on a very noble path. And so, you know, from issue one till the very end of the series, uh, there's, you know, this clan he's trying to, to seek vengeance and, and revenge with, and he takes his son along for the ride. As you find out very early on, his son has picked the path to hell, and they walk it as equals. His son is often oblivious to it, but often a part of his assassinations. And in the final story of this issue, he is essentially, he chooses to let his son perish in in order to complete his mission that he's been paid for. Slowly, his son doesn't perish, but you know he, he's willing to choose the road over his son. And but he, <laughs> it kind of it really sets the tone for the whole series in that they both walk this path, and the path makes the decision. Later on in the series, they get separated, and his son goes on his own journey for a little bit. As a father, it really hits. They go into those modes, and mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, these mm-hmm. first couple stories, you you get the whole you know everything you need to about these two people. You know, and he's two. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was just about he's to say, just two years old. for our listening audience, if you're unfamiliar, yeah, the, the son is like two. Like, yeah. he's really, really uh, small. <laughs> he, he's, he's given the choice between the toy and the sword and has no idea what he's deciding. Uh, yeah, it's all fate and luck at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very cool. So now we'll go around the room and see what each person thought of the issue. This time we'll start with Delvin. Delvin, what did you think of Lone Wolf and Cub number one? Action. I didn't read it. Clever. All right. <laughs> Yes. Uh, Okay. I did read it, and 
I don't know. It was an interesting read. Obviously not a bad read. I was reminded of, I don't know if I'm the only one out of the five of us who has watched Bob's Burgers or not, but Bob and his daughter, Louise, they have a series that they follow. It's an anime cartoon called Hawk and Chick, and it has to be modeled off a long wolf and cub. It has to be. A lot of talk about honor. And it's interesting, uh, Tim was mentioning about God willing it, you know, God wills it. It's like, well, he, he wasn't talking about God. He was talking about demons. He was pretty set that he was on his path to hell. And there was a lot of talk about honor. I mean, not just with him, not just with Lone Wolf, but also with like, I mean, heck, the second half of the storyline, there are a group of guys that were like, okay, we went against our Lord, even though we think our Lord is dishonorable, we went against our Lord. And so our plan is we want you to kill us so you can get favor to go and then kill him. And it's just like, oh my, oh <laughs> yeah. my God. Yeah, it, I thought I was going to be able to mail it in at some points. And I was like, no, you got to follow, I was like, you got to follow the story. You can't mail it in or it gets too confusing. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I mean, I, under, I understood it though, because like mm-hmm. just, they were so honor bound that they knew what they were doing was a betrayal, but they knew that what the emperor was doing was a betrayal, even bigger. So they sacrificed themselves to get him sacrificed. I understood it. It was just heavy. It was heavy. And heck, even the decision that Lone Wolf made to leave his son behind, that was heavy too. And it, it got flooded with that. The whole thing, heavy. I could see why it was so beloved. I really do. Because of just the raveness of the storytelling. How often in American comics are you going to see a father completely leave his toddler son behind for like five days? Are you even going to see that written in an American comic? Probably not. I mean, people would flip out. Even though it's a fictional character and you're telling a story, much less your main character being an assassin who is carrying his toddler son around watching him murder people left and right. Heavy. That's probably the biggest adjective that I just keep coming back to and it wasn't bad by any means. It was a good read and I definitely understood it but just the whole thing, just a lot of heaviness. Alright, Pat. Heaviness? Yeah, I could definitely feel that heaviness that Delvin was talking about and a lot of the honor in that too. I wanted to jump in when Delvin was talking about the four guys or four or five guys that got together to go against their master and how the lone wolf, he's like when the other enemies come up and he's pretending he's there above them, he tells them he wants them to have a honorable death. So it was very cool and you know, Delvin's right. It's it's a heavy read, but an interesting read and when I sat down to read it with the page count that we had, I was like, okay, I got to read this in some, you know, halves and halves here. But I ended up, I think, reading more than I was going to stop at. Just like when we watch our movies and all that, if I have to break it up and I go above and beyond where I, you know, I set my mark where, okay, I'm going to stop here. That means something to me that I really was enjoying this. It was a pretty quick read as well. You can just look at the story with the art and know what's kind of happening and going on. It's just really... the art carries this along and as Tim said the layouts really made it as well too so uh, boy I'm glad I read it well said Pat it is a brisk read for this is I think the largest page count book we've ever had on a crusade miss but it didn't feel like the longest read we've ever had on a <laughs> you know that honor still goes to Delvin 
<laughs> no, 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 no. Sorry, that honor went to Lady Baltimore. Thank you. Thank what? You, thank you. Uh-oh, shots <laughs> to me. I thought you were going to say Red Star. And Let's all focus on today's book, <laughs> Wolf and Cub, and let Jason speak his piece. I like this one a lot. I'm a history buff, and I've read a lot on samurai culture and listened to podcasts about it. And it's very interesting because there has been no culture quite like the samurai. Other countries have tried to mimic it and just have never had that success. And when I pick up this book and I think back to the other samurai type books like Ron Mars Samurai and amongst others, they're good. They're entertaining. Great stories, great action, but it's told still through a Western lens. It's like, oh, well, here's my concept of honor through my Western interpretation of it. And this, what Delvin and Pat were alluding to, makes you uncomfortable. And it's because you're looking at it through the Japanese lens. This is what they mean. I am prepared to die. I'm prepared to die violently. I'm prepared to take my own life Violently, And one of the main functions of the executioner, as you alluded to, was to provide a quick and honorable death for those who deserve it. It was an act of mercy to cut off someone's head because as they committed seppuku, it's basically ritual disembowelment and you die slow. So if you were granted the executioner, that was an ultimate honor. And so that's kind of the theme that runs throughout this book. It's a great story as well. It's a road to picture with that path to hell. Is It's beautiful in some places. The art is gorgeous. It takes you through some of the most beautiful scenery that's laid out in that pure black and white, like you mentioned, Tim. And the action is intense. The movements seem fluid. It looks like a samurai epic and probably tipping my candy cane scales a little bit, but I am really impressed by it because it is a tough read to Pat and Delvin's point. It is a tough read sometimes, but I like it because of that. It doesn't shy away from that culture. This is it. Take it, leave it. And if you take it, you get a very stirring adventure story with tons of action, lots of plot, and it's just... There's nothing quite like it. Great pick, Tim. Well, I'll just wrap it up by saying I also like that. The art was great. Said it's a tale as old as time in some ways, and it's still, I feel, influencing things to this day. If you watch Mandalorian, I think you see echoes of Lone Wolf and Cup. So I will just uh, tack that on. Since we've gone a, a little long, we will get to candy canes. It's time for the candy cane ratings, boys. You know how it works. We're going to rate our interest in this series using the official Crusade Miss candy cane scale. So on a scale of 1 to 12 candy canes, 12 means you're extremely interested. 1 means no interest at all. How many candy canes are you going to rate your interest in Lone Wolf and Cub? Jason, put the 12 down. Let's hear it. Oh, I didn't go full 12 because, you know, I have to do humor, heart, spectacle, and art. And I know what you're all thinking. Humor? There's no humor there. You gotta give that zero candy canes. You're wrong. I laughed out loud at that duel where he ducks his head and the baby's got the big mirror on his forehead and blinds old boys. That was a smart move. That was a smart move. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. I'm sorry. So one candy cane at least for that. The heart, it's all there. I've got enough about it to get all three. Spectacle, great. Talked about the backdrops, the scenery, the action. And then the art, you nailed it in your preview there, Tim. Black and white, beautiful. Beautiful inks, beautiful pencils, great expressions, great fighting stances, styles. Just three, another three. So three, 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 and one is 10. And because of your enthusiasm and the fact that you went through it, every microphone in your house to get to get us to where we are right now. 
I'm going to give you 11 candy canes. All right. 11 candy canes heading over to Tim's way right out of the gate. Pat, how many candy canes you got? When I read this book, I wish I would have read it earlier because the other day I was went at Half Price Books and I would have went searching for this thing just to get it. With that being said, if it's something I wanted to really search out, I wish I would have read it and then done it. So I'm going with a 12 on this one. Ding, 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 ding. Woo! Hot fire with a 12 from Pat. Don't. 10. I'm at 10 candy canes. It definitely deserves double figures because Jason brought up a very good point. And that point is, I mean, I mentioned heaviness and then I think Jason better described it. I don't know what, what, what is it? What is it that you would die for? What is it that you would literally die for? Heck, we got that discussed how many different times in just like the first issue, 100 pages dozen easily from different men and their senses of honor. I mean, that alone, man, it's just, it's incredible. It's not modern living by any means. And it was not sugar-coated one bit, which made for a fantastic story. So I'm at 10. I think it was really, really good. And it definitely is one of those comics that I could see if you read it early on, you want any comic book going forward to have some element of it. So that is as good of a compliment as I could possibly think of for it. And I hope that those words reflect it. Jared, what do you think, man? I'm not drawn in by manga. I'm not drawn in by anime. Oftentimes the Japanese lens that Jason spoke of just doesn't fit for me. Maybe I'm too westernized. Who knows? But this book absolutely drew me in. The art is so good. And I don't know if it's my military background that kind of understands maybe a little more. I mean, I'm not saying I was a dang samurai or nothing, but I get honor and I kind of understand Japanese culture a bit. So a lot of times those animes and those mangas, they just don't grab me. And it's it's hard for me to find the ones that do and man this one got hooks in me all the way it's a 12 candy cane for me it's an easy 12 it's i want to know more and i know it's like a six bazillion pages uh, more to go <laughs> to get from here to there definitely a uh, a series near and dear to all our hearts it did really well on candy canes delvin quote unquote boat anchored it at 10 and 10 is still spectacular so any final recommendation just real brief tim for our listeners before we wrap it up the big thing for me is to it really look at that black and white art you know i've met so many people who are like oh it's not a finished book and it's really something to embrace to say you know this was made to be black and white for a reason and so to not let that scare you off or to let the 28 trade paperbacks scare you off much like usagi ojimbo or or Spider-Man, you can pick up any of them and you'll get it. It's not that hard. Guy, little son, assassin, kills people, really good at it. It's not that complicated. And you don't have to read all 3,000 pages or whatever it is. Jump in, grab an issue, and you can get them digitally pretty cheap. Keep your eye open at Ollie's. Like I said, I picked up Volume 5 Omnibus for three ninety nine. <laughs> <laughs> and that's going to wrap up day five of the 12 Days of Crusademus. We'd love to hear from you if you're familiar with any of the comics we cover here on the show, or if you give one of these recommendations a try. Did you try Lone Wolf and Cub? And if so, tell us what you think about it. There's a lot of ways you can do that. You can tell us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and YouTube, all at Longbox Crusade. You can email us directly at contact at longboxcrusade.com, or you can call us at 707-532-5269. That's 707-532-LBOX. Pick up the phone. 
Well done, Delvin. I actually looked up to see how to say pick up the phone in Japanese, so I'm going to do that now. I'm kidding. I didn't do that. All right. If you're loving Crusamus and didn't get a chance to listen last year, you just want to hear more Crusamus, you can scroll back far enough in our feed. You'll find all the episodes from Crusamus past 2021, 2020, 2019, 2018, or even when we kicked this all off in 2017. Seems like yesterday. Thanks for listening. Be sure to come back tomorrow to find out what the next gift is going to be from under the tree here in our festively decorated Longbox Crusade Studios. Do you have any holiday wishes for the listeners, Tim? Read Sin City and celebrate your little two-year-olds. Don't make them choose swords. <laughs> Those are <laughs> profound holiday wishes. <laughs> All right, we are out of here. Cristalos, play us a little bit of a Christmas jam. songs, song clips, and characters discussed are copyright of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. We are just fans that like to share our love of comics. Outtakes. No worries, Tim. You're not the first person to have problems, and at least we got it fixed. So don't Good news, Jared. My headphones are totally charged. <laughs> <laughs> Did it all for you. Did it all for you. Did it all for you, Thank you. Thank you. Somehow I think Delvin probably texted Tim and just said, hey, man, my battery's not charged. I don't I need you to buy me some time. I, I, I sounded like Pat, like all deep voice it, deep voice and everything. That's how I sounded. You hey, man. Hey, hey, baby. <laughs> Pick up the phone. Well done, Delvin. I actually looked up to see how to say pick up the phone in Japanese, so I'm going to do that now. I'm kidding. I didn't do that. All right. If you're, if you're loving it. <laughs> I was like, oh, really? You were so excited to hear what it was yeah. going to be. And I was like, yeah. Mushy, mushy. <laughs> mushy, mushy. Yeah, that's, that's all I got.
Uh, if <laughs> Don't put that in the show, please. Thank you. That's what they say when they answer the phone. That's Japanese how they answer the phone. Really? Yeah, they say. Yeah, mushi. that's how they say hello. Yeah, that's how they say hello. Okay, never mind. You call that's someone mushi. who's Japanese in Japan, they go mushi mushi. Oh. Anyway, things you learn on Long Box Crusade. <laughs> <laughs> wow, from you only live twice. Really. <laughs>